Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. It's been more than 25 years since the Supreme Court decimated the free exercise clause, and now it's being asked to take aim at the other religious freedom part of the First Amendment, the Establishment Clause. Here to talk about very interesting case is my good friend, attorney, and Professor Nicholas Miller, professor at Andrews University and director of the International Religious Liberty Institute there. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, Nick. Always good to be with you, Alan. So tell us about this case that the Supreme Court's been asked to hear. Yeah, interesting case. It involves a giant cross. Um, It's about 40 feet high in Bladensburg, Maryland. Not far from where I used to live. I would drive by it from time to time. And it's really in the middle of a highway. Um, It was built 93 years ago, a few years after the end of World War I, as a tribute to the local man from Bladensburg and the surrounding areas who died in the war. Um, It wasn't built by the government. It was built by private organization, the American Legion, and they gathered private funds for it. It was built on private land. And it was built after the cemeteries in Europe where, you know, crosses would appear over most of the graves there. And uh, they built this in the idea of communicating the idea of sacrifice the soldiers had made. So it existed sure. without much controversy for several decades. Until 1961, the highway was built up around it, and it became more important that it be tended and cared, I I suppose, both visually and maybe as a safety matter. And the state wanted to take care of it. And so it was deeded to the state in 1961, you know, 50 plus years ago at this point. And again, Mm -hmm. nothing happened for several decades until in the last uh, two or three years, a couple of uh, left-wing organizations, American Humanist Association, um, have filed lawsuits arguing that the cross is now an inappropriate establishment of religion. And the Supreme well, Court has agreed to hear it. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear yet another case involving a monument. What was the last time they did a monument case? I know they did the Ten Commandments cases out of Texas and uh, was it Kentucky? Yeah, they, um, a while they, knocked, back. they knocked down one and they allowed one to stand. And it right. seems to revolve around whether there's truly a historical context in which the religious object appears, or does it seem to be a kind of focus on the religious event or identity? And so there's a lot of different groups are viewing this as a case to try to fundamentally change uh, establishment clause law. Uh, which you and I know from many years ago in the 1970s was used to be based on the lemon test. But there's some question about that, the ongoing validity of that test. And I suppose we should talk about its three parts because many of our listeners won't be familiar with it. Sure. Well, and, you know, honestly, Nick, I have always been an advocate of the lemon test because each of the prongs made good sense to me that 
you know, the kind of neutrality that our Constitution requires in terms of religion is that government not act primarily for religious purpose. That's the first prong. That right. their actions not primarily have a religious effect. In other words, they act for secular reasons, and what they do is primarily secular in its in its effect, and that there's not an undue entanglement between church and state. I mean, all of those are very valid premises, and I think the Lemon Test has been attacked for two reasons. One, because people don't like the Establishment Clause. They want more government involvement with religion. And two, because, you know, the Supreme Court's application of it has been so uh, apparently inconsistent. It's been widely criticized that way. Yes, it's hard to know ahead of time what the outcome is going to be, and that causes litigation. So to give some historical perspective to this, there were two approaches to the Lemon Test that some former Supreme Court justices proposed. Uh, Justice Kennedy, who retired not long ago, he was hoping to create something that he called the coercion test, which basically said the government can involve itself in religion as long as it's not coercing people or forcing or requiring them to act in a religious way or um, be part of a religious event. So this is one approach that was really quite a, I don't know how to characterize it, it moved away from a strong separation of church and state. And that was opposed by Sandra Day O'Connor, who's been off the court for a few years now. But she sort of won the day with something called an endorsement test. She says the First Amendment doesn't just prevent the government from coercing you to do or not do something religious. It also prevents the government from appearing to promote or endorse a particular religious view or perspective. Uh, and her argument was the government shouldn't make any group of people, any religious group, feel like outsiders, feel like they're second-class citizens in the society in which they're members and, and citizens. So O'Connor essentially prevailed. Kennedy didn't. And I think O'Connor's test captures the much of the meaning behind the first two prongs of Lemon, right? As long as the government right. isn't endorsing, if it's not advancing religion and it's not um, causing the primary effect of advancing it, then, you know, this is, this is what's captured, I think, to a good degree by O'Connor's endorsement test. And I think it's valuable. Well, and there's a flip side of the endorsement test, which it's not government's job to endorse religion. It's not government's role to disparage it in any way either. It's an even-handed test. It's not just favoring, but but really disparaging. That's right. That's right. You know, if you favor one religion, then impliedly you are sort of disfavoring the rest. And I, I think that this is the kind of neutrality, as you suggested in the opening statements, that, that our Constitution calls for. Now, there's a lot of religious organizations, though, who are viewing this Bladensburg case as an opportunity to get rid of those first two parts of the Lemon Test. Um, they want to, uh, you know, allow the government intentional involvement in religion as long as it's not coercive uh, along the, the lines that Kennedy set out. And I think this would be a tremendous loss if this were to take place. I think O'Connor's endorsement concern was real, uh, that the first step to persecution is making certain people in society feel less than, right? You are an outsider. You're not really an American if you're not 
a member of this religion or this church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having said all this now, though, it doesn't mean I think that the Bladensburg Cross should come down. I think that there's a history there with the history. No, I don't that think I, it. Should, yeah, that, that I, I, yeah, I don't out. think it should yeah. come down either. You know, and I don't think the court's likely to require it to come down. Now, just to be clear, the the court below did say it should come down. Yeah, the Fourth Circuit had ruled that it violated the Establishment Clause, and um, there was a second case. It's a little bit complicated. So there were two cases, and the other one was pending, and the court consolidated them and has agreed to hear them both. And so, yeah, the, the lower Fourth Circuit says this violates, this establishes religion somehow. But I think given its history, that it was made not with government funds, private funds, uh, commemorating a war. It had been there for several decades without people viewing it as an endorsement or promotion of Christianity. I think all of that can be taken into account underneath the primary purpose and, and effect test. Um, you know, basically the state took this over not so it could promote religion, but so that it could create a safe and neat circumstance along its highway. And um, I think the court could keep the lemon test alive, keep the endorsement test alive, and yet still allow the uh, cross to stay where it is. You know, I mean, I have a problem, Nick, with kind of the whole perceptual thing here, that somehow having a war memorial use a religious symbol is an endorsement of that religion. No, it's honoring, you know, those who fought and surely... All Americans, you know, whatever we think of a particular war or of war in general, we can honor those who have served our country and faith is, you know, is part of the American experience. So to to just rule it out makes no sense. Well, um, well, let me well, let and, me and push to use a cross. Go ahead. Well, let me push back on that a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, I talked about the war cemeteries in Europe have all crosses on them, but remember in Europe. There isn't a separation of church and state. I think what you're saying would make sense if all the soldiers in Bladensburg that died were Christian, but they probably weren't. There were probably some Jews, maybe even been some Muslims and others. And so in a sense, we're saying, okay, you're going, whatever your religion, you're going to embrace our Christian symbol of sacrifice. And it would bother me if the government had paid for this and put it up in the initial instance. I think that would be a different case. Um, are we wanting to water down the symbol of Christianity so much that it no longer represents Christianity and only represents a vague notion of sacrifice? I'm not sure we do. Okay, well, that's certainly food for thought, you know, how we use these symbols. Um, you and I have discussed many times, I'm not a fan of American civil religion. I feel like, you know, we use God in this country to endorse our own secular agenda to validate ourselves as a nation. You know, it's really kind of a pagan use of God, but, you know, the cross is part of American civil religion. Well, but I mean, usually the notion of a creator is is in the Declaration of Independence, in fact, and our founders viewed the notion of a creator or God generally as not denominational or sectarian because it was accessible to everyone everywhere. But a cross would be, I mean, not just generically civil religion, it really would be Christian religion. The cross really has no meaningful symbolism outside Christianity. You know, it's, otherwise it's a it's weapon of, of torture. And 
So it's quite sectarian, indeed. Sure. Um, okay, but I still see the prevalence of the cross in our historical and social use as part of American civil religion. Yes, of course, the cross is unique to Christianity. Um, yeah, it's I, American civil saying. Christian religion, you'd have to say that. And certainly it's been adopted in many places. I mean, I do think that there is a role for civil religion in one sense, and that is the government needs to be reminded that there is a power higher than it is and um, that it has limits on it because of that higher power. And that's a good use of civil religion. The bad use is when you use the existence of a higher power to justify some action on your part in the name of religion and rather than as a limitation. And that's we need to watch well, that closely. Well, that's a good place for us to try to wrap this up. Tell our listeners the name of this case again as we're getting ready to close. Well, it's the War Cross War Memorial in Bladensburg, Maryland. So it must be the state of Maryland versus the American Humanist Association is the group bringing the case. We will certainly keep you, the dear listeners, apprised of developments in this case. We certainly want to have a vigorous establishment clause and protect our religious freedom. Thank you, Nicholas Miller, for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Thank you for having me, Alan. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk about religious freedom. We offer legal services to help people suffering religious discrimination, especially in the workplace. Do check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring, on the web at religiousliberty.info. And you can hear this and all our Freedom's Ring radio shows on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinoff. Until next week, let Freedom Ring. <laughs>